Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Uh, But today, Luke chapter 10, or excuse me, Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be. And uh, how many of you remember waterbeds? What an invention. How many of you had a waterbed? All right. Man, in our house growing up, in our family, uh, waterbeds were the way to go. Uh, in our family, I think everybody had a waterbed. If I'm remembering correctly, just about everybody in our house had a waterbed at one point. And, uh, you know, what, a, what an invention. Um, they were comfortable and they were fun, but really it was just a giant water balloon in your house. How many of you heard, uh, we won't ask you to raise your hand, but you ever hear about a waterbed popping? Uh, man, I read too many stories about waterbeds uh, popping. And, you know, one thing about a waterbed <clears throat> growing up was if you had a waterbed, especially if your parents had a waterbed, you could just forget about being able to wrestle with your dad. You say, why do you say that? Because have you ever tried to wrestle somebody on a waterbed? It just, it just doesn't work out very well. You know, every little, every little kid loves to run in on mom and dad's bed and run in and jump on dad, you know, and, and take him down. And of course, uh, many of you know my dad, Fountain Senior, he's a, a bigger man. And so I'd, I'd love to get the element of surprise and run in and take him out, find a way to injure him, knee him or bite him or pull his hair or do something. Uh, don't, don't mess with his hair. If you mess with his hair, you just, I've said that before, but you would lose a limb for touching his hair. And uh, anyway, I remember there would be plenty of times where I would, I would run in the room as just a little kid, maybe five, six, seven years old. I would jump on that bed thinking I'm going to get the element of surprise. You know, you land, get, land with your knees on it and you've got some stability and just take him out. And sure enough, as soon as you jump up on a water bed, on a water bed anybody moves. It's like you're surfing for days. There's no stability. There's no footing. The only way you could ever get footing is if you like WWF style, try to get your foot on the side of the bed and push off and jump on him or something like that. But my parents had a, a California King waterbed and it was huge. And of course, my dad is huge. So he needs a big waterbed, uh, needs a big bed. And now we have a California King and I understand the comfort of them. If you don't have a California King bed, even if you're five foot one, you need a California King bed. <laughs> That's just my plug. But they had this California King waterbed, and I can remember jumping up on that bed and never, never being able to get my footing and take him out. Why? It's unstable. Man, that water is moving everywhere, and as soon as you jump up, man, you're going like this, and then you're falling down, and then your parents are laughing at you and things like that. You can never find stability on a waterbed. Maybe you've lived through an earthquake, you ever been in an earthquake? I've shared the story before, but 2001, uh, I think it was 2001, we had that earthquake up here in the Northwest where the eye of the earthquake was over on the West side. And uh, it was only like 15 miles from our school at the time where, that, where they, uh, um, the heart of that earthquake was. And I can remember I was in, in choir in the commons area, the big cafeteria area of our, of our high school. And we were up on the, the choir stands practicing for a big concert coming up. And I can remember standing up there and, and you, we saw it just start on the one end and literally just saw the ground begin to go like that. 
And we watched it coming at us and all those tables, you know, they were on, on wheels. They were just rolling up and down. And then it hit, the, I mean, it just came, it came like a wave just across the ground to the bleachers where we were at. And people were screaming and girls were laying on the ground crying. And, you know, I mean, everybody was running. And I remember, you know, I remember it going. And it's like it lasts for minutes, but it's really only, you know, 10 or 12, 15 seconds but I remember going up and trying to help people out. Man, no stability, no foundation, no footing, nothing to help you gain momentum, to get out, to run, to do whatever you need to do. This morning, as we come to Luke chapter number 19, I wanna bring a very simple thought today as we look at the last 10 days of the life of Christ. And that thought is this, that there are many people who claim to know Jesus Christ. They claim to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ. But the type of Christianity that they are living, the type of Christianity that they are living is a waterbed Christianity. It's an earthquake Christianity. You say, what do you mean by that, pastor? They're always up and down. There's no stability. There's no foundation. They're like what James wrote about in James chapter one when he said that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. They're wavering. And we all know them and we've all been there. But we're gonna come to Luke chapter number 19 and we're actually gonna see these types of followers on the 10 days leading up to the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, excuse me, leading up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and let's go this morning to Luke chapter number 19. And Brian, wherever you're at, where are you at, Brian? I don't have an iPad up here. Can I get one from you? <clears throat> it's somewhere around here. I saw it earlier, but I don't know where it is. Uh, Dustin, I'll have you go through some of these slides with me. Nope, not yet. Is there a map in there first? That's what I wanted. There we go. Luke chapter 19, when you come to Luke 19, I want us to know simply a little bit of the context before we read the passage. Of course, Jesus would be um, about, uh, when we hit Luke 19, he would be about six days, six or seven days from the, the day that he would be crucified. Now, let me just preface it this morning, okay? There are a lot of teachings out there about what day Jesus was crucified on. Okay, there's the Good Friday theory that Jesus was crucified on a Friday, rose again on Sunday, and, and there's, um, there, it's called Jewish idioms that they use to create that, to say you can get fit three days and three nights into that and all of these different things. There's the Thursday theory that Jesus was crucified on a Thursday, and, uh, and then there's what I believe, which would be um, our Wednesday night which would be their Jewish Thursday beginning, 6 p.m., because with the Jews, a day is evening and a morning were a first day. That's what they operate by, even to this day. When we go to Israel, their Sabbath starts Friday night at 6 p.m., and that's when their Saturday starts. So you say, Pastor, why are you mentioning that? Because there's a lot of people that want to argue about it. Well, I believe it was Friday. Well, I believe it was Wednesday. Well, I believe it was Thursday. I'm just going to tell you this this morning. Nobody knows absolutely 100% for sure, but we do know 100% for sure that Jesus did die, was buried, and rose again from the dead. That's what we settle on, okay? So that's what we, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Friday, I'm a Thursday, or I'm a Wednesday, or great. 
I'm a Jesus rose from the dead person. <laughs> I, I, I understand that he was crucified. One of those days was buried and then rose again from the dead. But the timeline I'm going to work with is the timeline that I've researched and the timeline that, that I believe how things proceeded, okay? So Jesus... When you come to Luke 19, Jesus would be coming into um, Bethany, the town of Bethany and, and Bethpage or Bethphage. Right there, you can see both of those. These two towns would be really, uh, really just about a mile outside of Jerusalem. And I'm going to show you, I don't know, is there another picture up there, Dustin? Nope, go back. All right, who have, we have four people operating iPads and computers. Here, you can bring that to me, then I can have it. Um, when you look, this is really a top picture of, of the, actual the actual area now, Bethany, Bethpage, and the Mount of Olives that we're going to see in just a minute. And when you look at all of these uh, different uh, um, places here, we're going to see them in real time in just a few minutes. But here's what's taking place. Recently, Jesus has risen Lazarus from the dead. You know the story, John chapter 11, where he goes and Lazarus has been dead and, and uh, the sisters say, Jesus, he's already been dead for four days and why weren't you here? And Jesus says, hey, with God, all things are possible. Lazarus, come forth. And man, what a sight that would have been. Because the, the, the scripture says that when Lazarus came forth, he came forth still wrapped up in his grave clothes. At that time, they didn't wrap the legs separately. They would wrap everything together like a mummy. And I don't know, I don't know how Lazarus came out. I've always wondered that, you know, because his face is wrapped, his mouth is wrapped, everything's wrapped. Lazarus come forth. I mean, was it like, <laughs> you know, or did he like float out? I don't know, but I want to be there. Man, this is one of those moments. I don't know if you're like this. When I get to heaven, I want to ask the Lord, like, God, could we do like IMAX theater? And let me like sit and just watch the Bible. Wouldn't that be awesome? Man, can you imagine being there? Lazarus come forth and literally he, you know, like comes out. And then Jesus says, loose him, like let all the grave clothes off. And man, people are mesmerized by that. That has recently happened, probably, give or take, probably two to six weeks before what we're reading in Luke chapter number 19. Some people believe it might have even been just a week before but I believe maybe a little bit more. <clears throat> but Jesus has just risen Lazarus from the dead. He's just come into Bethany. If you were to go and read the uh, events preceding where our passage is in Luke 19, you would find that Jesus goes to dinner at the house of Simon the leper in Bethany, and he would be there spending time with Mary and Martha and Simon the leper and Lazarus. And the Bible tells us that a lot of people came to that meal. Um, they came to that meal. Of course, uh, Martha was serving. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and, and uh, Lazarus was witnessing about what Jesus had done. People came to see Lazarus. Lazarus. I mean, there was, it, was, it had gone, uh, word had spread so much that now Lazarus was like a main attraction. Like, here's this guy that's been dead for four days, but this prophet, Jesus, raised him from the dead. And people are going, they're, they're seeing all of this, uh, trying to see him, and many people trying to, you know, like touch him. Like, is it real? And uh, I mean, can you imagine all of the events surrounding this? And then Jesus would stay the night in Bethany. And then the next day, which I believe would be on a Thursday or a Friday, 
Jesus would get up and travel into Jerusalem. That is where we come to our passage in Luke 19. So let's stand together just in honor of God's word and let's read a few verses out of Luke 19, beginning in verse number 29 of Luke 19. I'll read verse number 28, actually, and then we'll go into verse number 29. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. That's verse 28, not on the screen. When it says anytime, and this is an awesome uh, thought about reading scripture, when you read about ascending up into Jerusalem, Jesus was actually traveling west at this point, okay? Really, it would have been uh, west, not north. When it says up into Jerusalem, it's because it was a respected area. And so they're going up to Jerusalem. Even if you were coming from the north, people would say, well, I'm going up to Jerusalem. Why? Because it's a respected area. Um, some would, would say, well, it's because of, it was a God-selected city and different things like that. It doesn't necessarily mean an elevation or in direction, okay? So ascending up is I'm just traveling to Jerusalem, verse 29. And it came to pass. That when he, Jesus, was come nigh to Bethphage and, and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village, Bethphage, over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt, whereon yet never set, never man, excuse me, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They were saying, blessed be the king, the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and, and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude, they said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he, Jesus, answered, and, and he said unto them, I tell you that if these would, should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. The events of Luke 19 Probably these words spoken by Jesus are some of my favorite in the last week and a half of the life of Christ. Because I love what verse 40 says when Jesus says, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones, the rocks would cry out and worship me. This passage before us is just a, a few days before Jesus would go to the cross eight or nine days before he would raise again from the dead. And while we're going to learn a lot about the events of this passage, I've titled the message today, Unwavering. Because I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning as we, as we reflect upon the, 
the holy week, as people like to call it, the last week of the life of Christ. As we reflect upon it, I want to challenge you to determine to live an unwavering Christianity. God, help me not to be a waterbed Christian. Help me not to be a Christian who's living like I'm on an earthquake all the time, up and down. Trust the Lord, don't trust the Lord. Faith in God, no faith in God. God, help me to live an unwavering Christianity. We're gonna learn a lot of these thoughts from Luke 19, the passage we just read. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you, would you ask God to speak to you? <clears throat> and pray something simple. Dear God, please speak to me. God, please speak to me. And then would you make a commitment? God, if you're speaking to me, I'm listening to you and I'll respond to you. Dear Lord, I just want to come before you and thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you desire to use it to speak to us. And Lord, I pray this morning, whether we're here in person or online, God, I pray that you'd help every single one of us, help us to be able to hear your word, to hear your spirit. God, I pray that you would calm our minds. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be able to set aside any distractions. And Lord, that for the next few moments that you would capture our attention and speak to us what you want us to hear. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love. Thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to Luke 19, these verses, I really kind of want us to understand what is happening here. We've already understand the background and the context, but many people, and, and if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard these statements. Many people refer to the passage we just read as the triumphal entry, or often it would be called Palm Sunday. Now, that's interesting to me why they call it Palm Sunday, because it didn't happen on a Sunday. Um, I, don't, I don't know, but we celebrate that on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, as the triumphal entry. But this passage that we read about was actually prophesied that it would happen. The prophecy was given in Zechariah chapter 9, in verse number 9, where you read this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the, a colt, the foal of an ass. In these events taking place here, Jesus was actually in Luke 19 and then um, Matthew 21 and Mark chapter number, uh, um, Mark chapter 12 and uh, John, I forget which passage it is, John chapter 12, I think as well. But what is taking place is Jesus is really being honored as king. That, that's what we're finding when you read about Jesus entering in on the, the, on the, uh, the fall of an ass, the, the colt of a donkey. When you read about that and you read about the garments being placed on the donkey and the palm branches being placed on the ground and garments being placed on the ground, as we read about that, we need to know that what they were doing was recognizing Jesus Christ as king. As a matter of fact, it would take place on the Mount of Olives. This is a picture from when we were in Israel just a couple years ago of the, the Mount of Olives. This would be, many people believe, this area, that area that's pictured, that would be the actual area that what we're reading is taking place in. That Jesus comes over this hill towards, uh, towards Jerusalem. And as he comes towards Jerusalem, 
people meet him and, and the people, they honor him by, by giving of their garments and by laying those palm branches down and by shouting, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord and Hosanna, glory to God in the high, by shouting all of these things, they are simply honoring Jesus as king. Of course, the view that Christ would see, it would have been a little bit different from what we see now, but this would be what Jesus would have been coming into the, the walls of Jerusalem, that Temple Mount area. And of course, it would look very differently when Jesus was doing it. So all of these events would have been very significant to the Jews as well as to the Romans. As a matter of fact, what, excuse me, I shouldn't have gone to that slide. You're, now you already got a point ahead. Uh, when Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem, the Jews who were there crying out, Hosanna, and blessed be he in the name of, that cometh in the name of the Lord, and all the different things, and uh, uh, honoring him, the Romans would have onlooked, and those who would have been in political power would have felt threatened, because they would understand the significance of it. But the Pharisees also understood the significance of it. We're going to see in just a moment, the Pharisees actually say the whole world has gone after him. Man, this is a big deal. And this morning, as Jesus is being honored as king, what I want us to see is just a few different responses of the people in honoring him as king. I want us to notice, first of all, today, we find those honoring him by following his instruction. We find those honoring him as king by following his instruction. Well, what are these verses there? Where do we see this? We see this in the beginning portion of the scripture where Jesus comes to a few of his disciples. We read it a moment ago. I won't read it for time's sake, but he says, hey, I want you to go into the village, go into Bethpage, and as you go in there, you're going to find the, uh, a donkey and the, the, the foal of a donkey. You're going to find that colt and a donkey that has never been ridden. And when you go to loose that donkey, the owners are going to ask you what you're doing. When they ask you, just say, the Lord hath need of him, and they're going to release him to you. And what do you find taking place? Verse 33 and 34, it says that those disciples, those followers of Jesus, they did just that, and everything went exactly how Jesus had said. Well, what were they doing? They were just following him. They were just following his uh, encouragement. They were following his instruction. I want you to think about those two disciples and imagine, if you will, what it, what it was like to be them. Here's Jesus asking you to do something probably out of your comfort zone. And he's probably, if, if you were them, you're a little skeptical, aren't you? I mean, this would be, it would be like going into a town nowadays it would be like going into a town, finding somebody with a new car, asking them for the keys. And when they say, well, why do you want my keys? Because the Lord hath need of them. Anybody want to try that later? Some of you are like, eh? teenagers are like. Pfft. You say, listen, when we read scripture, we need to remember that the events happening were happening to real people. These are not just some made-up characters, and the, the Word of God is not just a fairy tale book to give you good guidelines for life. No, this stuff really happened. And so now I want you to think about it. 
You're the two that Jesus comes to and says, hey, go over into the next town, loose a donkey in a colt. I want you to go find this donkey that's never been ridden. And when they ask you why you need it, just say, God needs it. Can you imagine the faith that it took for these, these disciples to do just that? I mean, what if it doesn't go that way? What if, what if they want to do harm to me for coming and stealing their colt, for stealing their donkey? What if, and all the questions. You know what I see? I see these, recognize, these, these disciples right here recognizing him as king. And listen, don't miss it this morning. Because he was king, they could follow what he was saying. Because he was king, they could follow his instruction. I just want to tell you this morning that when Jesus is your king, there will be a desire to follow his voice. When he is your king, there's going to be a desire to say, Lord, I'll take that step. God, I'll, I'll do that thing. God, it may take a little more faith, but God, I'm, I'm all in. Why? Because you're king. Can I say this morning, there are too many followers of Jesus who don't really follow the voice of Jesus. Oh, they believe he's king, but they don't follow his word. They don't follow his, his decisions that he desires that they would make. And I just want you to know this morning that if he is your king and my king, then there should be a followship taking place in my life. Oh, listen, I know that there are days where we follow him more closely and others where we follow him a little bit more distant. But, but I, I would say we should be able to look back over the last week or the last month or the last year of, of my faith journey with Christ. And if he is my king, there is going to be steps of followship that take place in my life. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse number 27. He said, my sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them. And you know what they do? They, they follow me. They come after me. I use the illustration often of my father-in-law with his sheep. You probably remember the illustration because I've used it many times. He has his sheep out there, and they got out one day. They were up on the highway on the main road, and people were there trying to get them off of that main road. Finally, he figured it out that it was his sheep that were up there, and he went up. He didn't have to go up. He just opened that door and stepped out on his porch and went, hey, you. That's all he said. And all those sheep came running down their little hill and right back in the fence. Literally, he walked over, closed the gate, waved at everybody, and walked right back in the house. And if you know Greg Perkins, that's exactly what Greg Perkins would do. Well, why would they listen? Because they're his sheep. They follow his instruction. I wonder this morning, does your life have the testimony of following the instruction of your king? Oh, listen. Jesus isn't going to come and ask you to go find a donkey somewhere and loose him. He's not going to ask you to go get brand new keys to a new car. I know some of you were hoping he would. He's not going to ask you to maybe do some of the things we see being requested in this passage today, but we need to know that he may ask you to encourage somebody this week. Hey, Jesus may ask you to speak to somebody about the Lord this week. Jesus may ask you this week to step out of your comfort zone and, and invite somebody to Easter. 
Oh, you say, well, that would, that would take some faith. That, uh, that's, that's not who I am. I'm just not an outgoing person. I can imagine these guys with their excuses of, God, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really like going and stealing donkeys. God, I, I don't, what are they going to do when I say that? God might ask you to step out of the comfort zone a little bit. Hey, he might ask you to grow in your faithfulness. God might ask you to repent of that anger or that bitterness or that lust or of that uh, resentment. God might ask you to give towards him. I, I don't know what God is asking in your life. For everybody, it's different. The, the faith journey for everybody looks different. And if anybody ever tells you otherwise that, well, you've got to have this and you've got to look like this and be doing this and listening to this and going here or you're not growing in the Lord, that's not the Bible. No, the faith journey is different for everybody, but the faith journey of following is the same for everybody. We follow at different, we, we, uh, different stages that we follow to are different. But following the voice is the same. And when he's your king, we're going to follow his instruction. I see this morning that if Jesus is our king, then fellowship will be that immediate response. And as Jesus is being honored in this passage, we find those that are following his instruction. But I see, uh, secondly, I find those that are serving him with what they had. Those that are serving him with what they had. If you come to Luke chapter 19, go with me to verse 35 and 36. We already read them, but I want to draw attention to them again. It says, and when they brought him to Jesus, that uh, donkey, they cast their garments upon the colt and, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. John chapter 12 actually says that others broke off palm branches and laid those down in the way. I mentioned this a moment ago, but by many people serving him in this manner, it was very significant. It was an act of service done to a king to literally take the garment off and put it on top of, of the, uh, the, the, gar- the animal that the, the king would be riding. It was very significant. It was recognizing him as the one the, the only one who was rightful to, to be served. We discover many people, they, they didn't have much, but they used what they had to point to him as king. They used what they had to, to serve him. By the palm branches and clothes going on the ground, they are, that's an act of service to help make that path more smooth. The garments on the top, like a saddle, would uh, be serving to make the ride more comfortable. And all of this was done in, in dismay to many of the Pharisees. It just increased their jealousy and their envious spirit. Why? Because they recognized the significance. People are honoring him as king by serving him with what they had. I don't want to be long and belabor the thought this morning, but I will say this, that when Jesus is your king, there will be a desire to use your life in service for him. It's not in my notes, but we're doing it. You know what happened? Somewhere along the line, we have embraced consumer Christianity. You know what I mean by consumer Christianity? Consumer Christianity is what can I get out of this? What can I gain from this? What am I going to get? 
I come to church. What am I going to get today? I hope they sing the songs I like. I hope pastor preaches a message I want to hear. And it's a consumer Christianity. I know we like to play the blame game about the mess that our world is in. We like to blame politics. We like to blame the the Christian down the street that maybe doesn't go to church. We like to blame uh, past politicians. We like to blame the, uh, those who would, would uh, maybe act differently in the lost. And we like to blame those who maybe live a lifestyle that we see as sinful. We like to blame a lot of that stuff. But can I tell you where the blame is? The blame is often on Christians who truly don't allow Jesus to be their king. You see, because if he's my king, my life is not about me. My life is about serving him. And, and, and if he's your king, then, then tomorrow when you get up to go to work to do that thing that you've done every day for 22 years, and it's just mundane, and it's just one of those things, it's like, man, why am I here? What am I doing? That tomorrow morning you get up and you go, I get to go here and be a representative of my king. I get to serve the king. I get to use what I have in in service to the king. And it's not just working the line. It's not just, hello, welcome to Walmart. It's not just, hello, thanks for shopping at Staples. It's not just, hi, thank you for being here. It's not just picking up the phone, Moses Lake Baptist Church. It's, It's not just those things. No, it's, I get to represent him. And today, everything I do can be done in service to him. Why? Because he's my king. Man, he's worthy of it. And I wonder what would happen if we stopped living consumer Christianity, what can I get, and started living dedicated, committed Christianity that says, what can I give? Man, God, what can I do for you? Jesus said it this way in John chapter 12. As a matter of fact, just kind of right around the same time as as this triumphal entry, Jesus said this, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant be. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. I have a question for you this morning. Are you serving him with what you have? Could Jesus define your life? Would he define you as servant? When he's your king, you're going to have a desire to follow his instruction. When he's your king, you're going to have a desire to serve him with what you have. But I see thirdly this morning, as Jesus is being honored king, there were those rejoicing and praising him with their voice. Rejoicing in him and praising him with their voice. Notice verse 37 and verse 38, it says this, And when he, when Jesus was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice. Praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the, of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy servants. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I don't have the time to do it. And maybe one of these years we'll do a revival service leading up to Easter and just have church every day and then talk through the events of that day. I don't know. You say, Pastor, that's too much. Well, I didn't say this year, but maybe, maybe one of these years. 
But there's so much significance in this passage about the joy that the people had. Um, as Jesus would come over the hill and over the Mount of Olives and come in, um, many of the little things that you can see taking place in the four correlating gospels signify joy. But one of them that really stands out is the palm branches. A palm branch being broken off and laid before a, an individual was, uh, is said to have been a joyful festival and a, excuse me, a joyful, joyful festival token. And in their culture, it was representing complete joy. I'm, I'm totally in to what is taking place right now. This is awesome. That's kind of the significance of it. And these people on this day, they were, they were rejoicing at the presence of Jesus. But then notice what they were doing. They were allowing that joy to move from their heart to their mouth. And they begin to praise God. They begin to offer up praise to him by quoting Psalm 118, verse 26, when it says, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. If you were looking in Luke 19, you would see that it says that they praised him because of the works that he had done. When it says that the, the disciples praised him, oftentimes when we read scripture, we can look at it and say, well, disciples, that's talking about the 12 that were with him, the apostles. But when it says disciples in many places in scripture, it's talking about a number of people who just were followers of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, if you were to go compare all four gospels, you would find, I believe, that there would be upward near probably probably near a thousand or more people that would be out here on this day. Many people would be traveling in for the Passover that would be five or six days later from this point. So they would just be coming into town, getting settled. And as they began, many of them, I mean, Jesus had been working his ministry for three years, three and a half years at this point. They would know who he was. And so now we have thousands of people. And what are those people doing? Many of them disciples or followers of Jesus. What are they doing? They're saying, man, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They had joy in their hearts and they let it fill their mouth with praise unto God. <clears throat> you know what we've done? In consumer Christianity, we've made praising God really about praising us. Oh, not everybody. But often we, we find pride in who we are and what we've done and what we've accomplished and what we're doing for the Lord. And we find pride in maybe uh, the excellence that we have and we've missed just an old-fashioned praise God and praise the Lord. Can I say this morning that when Christ is your king, joy will flood your heart and words of praise will flow from your mouth. Man, when he's your king, there's joy on the inside that's going to be coming out. My mom said it years ago, and I quote her often, the great theologian, Judy Fountain. She says a lot of Christians look like, uh, go around life looking like they've been sucking on an onion. 
or sucking on a lemon. A lot of sour-faced Christians. You know what some of us would be good to do when we wake up in the morning just remember, man, if I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, I'm adopted, I'm his child, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I'm justified. We can reflect upon the message Robert preached on Thursday just about the incredible, incredible uh, um, change that takes place in my life when I put my faith and my trust in him. It'd be good for me to look in the mirror and remind myself of that. And today, as I go through my day, just remember, man, I've got him in my heart. I want people to hear about him in my mouth. I love, I love the fact that they just praised him and worshiped him and you and I need to understand that we have a, a king who deserves to be praised. Psalm 40, verse number three, he hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Man, this is one of the reasons that we sing at church. Did you know that at church, praise and worship are intertwined into everything we do? Worship says, I ascribe worth to you. I bow before you. I recognize who I am. Praise says, I want to honor you up and recognize who you are. And why do we sing at church? We sing in worship to him, to ascribe worth to him, but to praise him with our mouth. Why do we listen to preaching? We listen to preaching because he is worthy. Listen, I know Pastor Dennis isn't worthy, and I know many of the message I preach, they're... they're, uh, they could be left in the notes, you know? It's just like, pastor, I fell asleep. Sometimes I fall asleep on my own messages and I'm just up here kind of ranting. You know what? I know that messages sometimes cannot be on point. Sometimes the song may not be on point, but regardless of whatever is taking place out here, my heart ought to always be, God, I ascribe worth to you and I'm gonna take time to praise you every single chance I get. Why? Because you're my king, because you're worthy. And he's a king that deserves to be praised. I see this morning, as Jesus is being honored as king, there are those following his instruction. There are those serving him with what they had. There are those rejoicing and praising him with their voice. But lastly, there are those who are critical of his position. There are those who are critical of his position. Verse 39, we read it a moment ago when the Pharisees said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Man, what are you doing letting them do this? John 12, 19, John records for us that the Pharisees did this. Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. The Pharisees were talking to themselves and like, dude, we are losing. This guy, the whole world is going after him. These Pharisees, these were the self-proclaimed religious leaders of the day. They were rebuking Christ for the praise that he was receiving. And for the first time, just about for the first time in all of Scripture, Jesus does not rebuke those who are praising him. Many people believe that this event, the Palm Sunday event or triumphal entry event, was really the tipping point for the Pharisees, the moment where they said, you know what, we've got to eliminate him. Can I say this morning that uh, I just pointed out that there are going to always be critics of Jesus Christ being king. There will always be people who say he's not king. There will always be those who say he doesn't deserve honor and praise. There will all, listen, there will always be those who say that you are doing it wrong. There, was all, there will all be, always be those who say 
well, my church is right and your church is not. There's always going to be critics. But who cares? Keep praising him. Don't get intimidated by the critics. Why? He's the king. Don't let a critic sit on the throne of your heart. Let the king sit on the throne of your heart. So this morning, we see Jesus being honored as king. There are those following him, those serving him, those praising him, those critical of him. But what I really want us to get to is this very simple thought. Many of these people, many of these who were following, serving, praising, don't miss it, the very same people that were crying out, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Just a few days later, many of them were the same individuals crying out, crucify him. You see, from this time, Jesus would travel in and out of Jerusalem a few times. Ultimately, Jesus would end up in an upper room on a Tuesday night, partaking of the Passover. Later that night, Jesus would go to the Garden of Gethsemane. There in the garden, he would get there shortly after sunset. Jesus would begin praying. I believe Jesus would have been in the Garden of Gethsemane somewhere from about two to four hours. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that Jesus would come to the disciples late that night and say, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. And many of them would, would begin praying but would fall asleep. And on three occasions, Jesus came to them time and time again. I believe each hour, Jesus came back in. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And many of these disciples would fall asleep until... Ultimately, Jesus came before them, and you remember the story where Jesus comes in before them, and he says, the time has now come. My time is at hand. And then he begins to say, I'm about to be betrayed. And in that moment, these men would look up, and over in the distance, this pitch black night, over in the distance would be some, some lanterns and some uh, fire coming at them, those holding maybe some torches coming towards them. And as Jesus is there, we know that Judas would enter the scene. And Judas would enter the scene with many of these Roman soldiers and Jesus would ask them, whom seek ye? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And at those words, Jesus simply says, I am he. And all of those people just fall flat on their backs. I've said it before, but at that moment, I'm changing sides. <laughs> they stand up and Jesus says, whom seek ye? And I can imagine them being like, Shh, don't say anything, man. They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. Let these go their way. At that moment, Judas would walk up to Jesus and kiss him on the cheek. And he said, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? Hey, we were friends. For the following seven or eight hours, Jesus would go through a kangaroo court. He would be ushered up the stairs to Caiaphas' house and to Annas, the high priest. These are the actual stairs that Jesus would have climbed. They date back 2,000 years. And you can look at these stairs and, 
and recall your Savior and my Savior knowing that as he ascends these stairs up to Caiaphas' house and the, the court where this would take place, he knows I only have but a few short hours. No wonder Jesus prayed, my God, my God, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus would go before Annas and Caiaphas and then Pontius Pilate, then back to Annas and Caiaphas and and back to Pontius Pilate. And Herod would have a little bit of, of play in there until ultimately we read the events that take place in Matthew 27, verse 20 through 23. When it says this, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered Pilate and said unto them, whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate saith unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil have he done? And they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. Mark said it this way, the multitude. Notice the multitude crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done to them. But Pilate answered unto them saying, will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew, Pilate knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. envy. But the chief priest moved the people. Hey, the chief priests were encouraging the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they, the multitude, cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. Luke says this way, Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake unto them, but they cried, saying, crucify him, crucify him. The multitude, the people, those that we just spoke about in Luke chapter number 19 who followed him and who served him and who rejoiced in his presence and who praised him, Many of those same people were in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19, crying out, crucify him. We know from the word of God that through the events of the crucifixion, almost all of the followers of Jesus Christ fled in fear. But this morning, before we condemn the multitudes, before you and I cast judgment upon the people, before we distance ourselves from the disciples and the apostles, we need to understand that all too often we follow Christ in the same manner. How so, pastor? We live earthquake Christianity. We stand on waterbed faith. We follow, we serve, we praise when things are going well or when we absolutely need him to do something. But when it's not convenient or we don't see it as necessary, we waver. And every day, every day you and I, we choose who we're going to follow. Every day we choose who we are going to serve. 
We choose from where we are going to receive joy. We choose who we are going to point to, who we are going to praise. And what I simply want to challenge us with this morning is this week, be unwavering. Hey, this week, as we reflect upon the last week of Jesus Christ, he was unwavering for you. He went to the cross for me and for you. This week, you know what I could give to him? I could give to him my fellowship and my service and my praise, even when it's not convenient, even when it's not popular, even when others don't do it around me, even when whatever the case may be, I can be an unwavering Christian. One who follows, serves, rejoices in and prays, praises him because he is my king. I want to encourage you as you and I look at the triumphal entry of Christ. I really wrestled with what angle to take because there's so much, there's so much on the last week of Jesus that we could look at. But as I began to read the story, I couldn't help but think, where would I have been? Oh, I'd like to say that we all want to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, right? I would have been, I would have been like John. Man, the, the only apostle that we read about who was there every moment. Man, I would have been like Mary Magdalene. I would have been there. I would have been like the Mary, the mother of Christ. I would have been there. But I hate to say it this morning. Unfortunately, many of us probably wouldn't have. Unfortunately, because of the influence of others, because of the lack of convenience, because of the lack of necessity, unfortunately, I don't know about you, I know me. Unfortunately, I might have been there saying, crucify. And this week, as we reflect upon what he did for us, I hope that we would be challenged. God, I I don't know where I would have been then, but I know where I want to be now. And God, where I want to be today is unwavering. Following your instruction because you're my king. Serving you with what I have because you're my king. Praising you from a joy-filled heart because you're my king. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.